when Mitch called me, he uh, he said, could we advertise the meeting, your subjects? And that's always been a problem for me to, because there's so many things you can talk on. And so I said, well, I said, let's just talk on the church, past, present, and future, because uh, I don't know of any subject that's more important than the blood-bought institution of the Lord. We say it's spirit, spirit-filled, blood-bought, heaven-sent church of the Lord. Most of you are members of the church. But I find that sometimes um, people in the church don't know as much about the church as they, as they should know. And so what I'm going to do is get a, give a panoramic view in the lessons that I've reached uh, about the church from its inception on the day of Pentecost on up to the present time. Some of its problems, which maybe not, won't be too pleasant to discuss, but, you know, we, ha- we have to face reality. And as the old cliche says, the people don't know history are bound to repeat it, and that's even true in the church. If you don't know church history, members of the church are bound to repeat it. And that's why we've had three major apostasies in the church which the church went down the drain. We lost all of our members through digression. And a lot of people don't know why. And I'm going to call your attention to why, and I think I can back it up both with the Bible and with historical historical facts. Uh, They say the best place to uh, begin any study is a definition of terms. They say that uh, a proposition well-defined is half-argued. And I sort of acquiesce in that. I think that's, that's true. So we're going to discuss the church, first of all, as to what it is. That is the word itself. Uh, I'll be referring to some scriptures, Matthew 16, a little later on. But for the time being, I want to just talk to you about what the word church means. Most of you know it's from Ecclesia, which means the called out. But what I want to emphasize in our English language that it is a collective noun, like a flock of birds or a covey of quail or or something of that kind. It is a collective noun. Now, sometimes people think that I put too much emphasis on words. But our Bible is written in words, and words are vehicles of thoughts, and if you don't know words, you don't know the Bible. As most of you know, our Bible wasn't written in English. It was written in the Kone Greek, the New Testament at least was. And when the translators translated that, if they translated properly, and I believe they did in the accepted translations which you're using, uh, then the Word of God is inspired. I wrote an article not long ago on, uh, on uh, preachers, and preachers will hold up their Bible, most of them will, and They'll say, I believe every word in this Bible is inspired from its beginning to its end. And they'll hold it up and shake their Bible to the audience. Well, I do too. I believe that. But I, but I believe that what they did, they translated it properly. Because if, if the Bible wasn't translated properly, then we don't have the inspired Word of God. But when they translated those Greek words properly... Then we do have the, we can, we preachers can hold up our Bible and say, yeah, this Bible's inspired from its beginning to its end. And I believe that. And, uh, as I said, we've got to understand words in order to understand the Bible. 
When I say the church is blood-bought, uh, we go to Acts 20, 28, feed the church of the Lord, which he has purchased with his own blood, which makes it a very important institution and therefore a, a biblical subject. I'll tell you a little story that happened back in Fort Smith, Arkansas. Years ago, I was preaching, and I'd taken my automobile down to have it serviced at a garage, and they had a little waiting room there, and I was sitting in this waiting room, and, and this black man was in there kind of cleaning up. He, he was doing it. And I noticed he's kind of eyeballing me. He, he kept watching me. And uh, after a while, he brought his broom over there, and he came over next to me, and he said, Could I ask you a question? I said, yes, yes, you can. And he said, aren't you that preacher of the Church of Christ out there at that uh, Park Hill Church of Christ? I said, yeah, that's where I preach. He said, well, I, I thought I'd seen you on television, and I did have a television program at the time. He said, um, he said uh, I'd like to ask you a Bible question. He said, I'm a member of the Church of Christ, too. Uh, I said, well, okay. I said, I'm not going to promise to answer it, but uh, go ahead he said, you know, the Bible says over there in Acts 20, 28, that the Lord purchased, the church was purchased with the blood of Christ. The church is purchased with the blood. He said, uh, my question is, uh, who did he purchase it from? Well, I've never been asked that question. It's kind of shocked me. And you know, when you're asked a question and you don't know the answer to it, you stall for time by saying that's a good question. I said, that's a good question. <laughs> I said that. I said that's a good question. But the cogs were turning up here, uh, trying to figure out how I was going to answer that man. He wanted to know. He said, if you buy something, you have to get it from somebody. He said, who 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 did, who did the Lord uh, buy it from? He said he purchased it with his own blood. And uh, after I thought about it a while, I. I knew that over in Ephesians it is said that uh, the Lord led captivity captive. He gave gifts to men. And that the devil had, had us bound with sin and servitude, according to Hebrews. And uh, so I said, well, I believe technically he purchased us from the devil because we are all slaves to sin. He said, that's what I said, but they wouldn't listen to me. <laughs> I said, well, well, good. But I said, uh, I've never been asked that question before, but we, we were all sinners and the devil is a, the headquarters of sin, and in a sense, he, when Jesus was raised from the dead, the devil tried to keep him bound and, and in the Hadean realm, but he broke the bars of, of the tomb and came forth victorious and planted a rose of immortality upon the sands of time whereby we can be redeemed. But anyway, it is a blood-bought institution. And as I said, uh, being a collective noun, uh, a collective noun, the church is, and we're back to the church now, uh, it can express its um, meaning in two different ways. First, individually or as a unit, collectively. Now, you may say, well, that's not important, but it is. It's important. I'm going to show you why. Uh, if you go to any grammar book, and after all, the Bible is written in English, and you have to understand nouns and pronouns and adverbs and adjectives to some degree. And what what happened is we have the church as a collective noun. And sometimes brethren have trouble knowing whether when the word church is used in the Bible, whether it's used in a collective sense or in, in a distributive sense. And, and a collective noun can be. So I, I got my grammar books down. And every grammar book that I've read, 
says that the way that you can tell uh, whether a collective noun is expressing collective activity or individual activity is by the uh, the pronouns that have as its antecedent. And he said if it's plural, if the antecedent of the collective noun is plural, it is always individual action. But if it is singular, it's unit or collective action. You know, you all take up the contribution here, and that contribution is used scripturally to support evangelists, and I'll talk about that later on and to do the other work of the church. That's collective action because you've all put in the pot. And then you do things individually in the church, uh, distributively you do that. But anyway, back to my grammar book, back to the collective noun, what I want to show you is we've had trouble back through the years as to whether or not the church um, is to support outsiders or whether it's to support saints. Well, I read nine times in my New Testament that they sent to saints. A saint is a Christian. Nine times. And by the way, uh, you have the word seen, seen or saying, one of the tenses of verse. You said that the news nine times, too. That's why we, we don't use an instrument. We have seen, but no authority for the instrument. So we we believe that we can support poor saints because that's what the Bible says. But some of the brethren wanted to use the collective action, collective action for um, supporting what we call non-Christians or sinners, as, as we'd say. And so there was a controversy back to the years. Still, it's still in the church about it. And some of the brethren that sustained that went to Galatians 6:10. And they said, here's their argument. They say, Paul wrote to the churches of Galatia, there's your noun, churches. Well, actually, that's a class. Now, when you pluralize, when you pluralize a collective noun, it usually becomes a class noun of neuter gender. And what Paul did in Galatians, instead of using just strictly a collective noun, uh, he, he used churches unto the churches of Galatia. He pluralized it, the, our, our word church. They said, uh, therefore, it was written to the church, and they go over to 610, and they said, as we have opportunity, let us do good unto all men. They say, that means taking money out of the church treasury. But they slipped the cob. That's, that's not what that says. They missed it right there. That didn't mean collective action. Because if you go to your grammar book, back to what all grammarians say, and your Bible is written in English, by the way, you've got to understand words says that if, it, if the antecedent of that collective noun is plural, it, it is individual action. Therefore, Galatians 6.10 is not referring to taking money out of the church treasury, but it's referring to individuals in the church. Are you listening? You see how simple that is? And they've, nobody ever answered that. I've had these liberal preachers, and, and they, they don't want to get a hold of it. That settles Galatians 6.10. And I've had that thrown at me all of my life. It refers to individuals. The, the church collectively is not spoken of as we and us. As we have opportunity to let us, we and us. They say, oh, that's the church treasure. No, no. Not the church treasure. The individuals. Distributively. To do good unto all, to do good unto all men. You go over to... Uh, uh, First Timothy, and uh, you uh, 
find where Paul is um, dealing with um, with the church treasury, and he says, um, "If a man or woman that believeth hath widows, let them relieve them, and let not the church be charged that it may relieve them that are widows indeed." There we got it. Uh, he says, um, individuals, if they have these widows, are to relieve them. Let not the church, there's your ecclesia, there's your collective noun, and let not the church be charged that it, it is a singular pronoun, therefore it refers to what? It refers to collective action. We got it. You see? How simple that is? That is collective action. The word it. It is a singular pronoun. Your grammarians say, when it is the antecedent of a collective noun, it is always unit action. You can check out any grammar book you want to. It's always unit action. That means collective action. Just like you're going to put in the treasury today, all of you, and uh, it may be used for uh, taking care of the Widows indeed, and as the Bible says for preaching to God, we'll get to that a little later on in talking about that. But um, uh, what we have in this particular text is when he said, let not the church be charged. I have asked dozens of preachers and people, I said, what does that mean? What does that verse mean? Tell me what it means. Well, they said, Lord, that's very simple. That means don't take it out of the church treasury. Exactly so. Could mean anything else. That's all it could mean. It simply means do not take it out of the church treasury. Uh, I believe the Bible authorizes every local congregation to have a treasury. Matter of fact, I believe he commands it. <laughs> Uh, whither lay by as we've been prospered in 1 Corinthians 16. I'll talk about that later too. Uh, but what, what we have, we pool our money together. And then Paul says that money is not to be used for just everything. He limited, he limited the use of that money. One of the greatest catastrophes in the church of Christ is uh, the abuse of money. Money caused the first scandal in the church. Ananias and Sapphira uh, in Acts were, were killed because they lied about money. A lot of people don't want to like you to talk about money. But it is a Bible subject. And, and it, it has caused more havoc in the Church of Christ, and more divisions than anything else as to how to use that money. Therefore, it is important to know what the Bible teaches about it. As, as the Lord says, you can use the treasure money for anything. Well, the way some brethren spend it, you could. Uh, they don't have many restrictions. They just, they'll take, dip their hand into the church treasure for almost anything. I can prove it. But I don't believe in that. I believe the Bible pretty well, explicitly, lets you know what you can spend money for out of the church treasury and what you can't. We'll talk about that more later. I'm not going to go into detail on that right now, but uh, we will go into 
sort of detail on that a little later on. But my point is that um, you can pretty well tell whether or not uh, the word church is used in a collective sense or individual sense by the context itself and by the pronouns. Used in, in conjunction with the ecclesia or with the, with the church. Uh, what I want to do in the remainder of my time now is to take up a text, and I think uh, Mitch had it on the board there a while ago. It's Matthew 16, uh, 18 and 19 talking about the church, uh, Jesus entered into the coast of Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi was located up in northern Palestine, and uh, it was sort of a rock-bounded, rock-surrounded, rock-founded city up there. Jesus had gone up there for some solitude with his apostles. The city was built by Philip the Tetrarch of Trachonitis, who was the son of Herod the Great. Old Herod had three sons. They were all pretty bad men. Philip was one of them. And um, he um, rebuilt the city of Caesarea Philippi. It had been destroyed. Uh, When he built it, he uh, named it after himself and the reigning Caesar, and so he called it Philippi for himself and then Caesar for the Caesars. So you have the the city of Caesarea Philippi. Uh, Jesus entered into this city. And um, when he did, he uh, asked this very important question, which is important today. Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And that's still important because if we do not know the identity of Jesus, we can't be saved. Some say, oh, he's a good philosopher and all of that, but he wasn't the Son of God. Well, that won't, that won't fly, uh, that statement. Uh, he's the Son of God, and, of course, the Son of Man, too. But anyway, uh, he said, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And uh, they said, um, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. You know, that's always um, impressed me because here Jesus was right here on earth and teaching and every day and preaching and teaching and preaching and teaching, and a majority of the people didn't even know who he was. And then we look out here and see the ignorance in the religious world about the Bible. It's just, you can rake it off. But it's nothing new. They were ignorant back in those days. They didn't even know who he was. Jesus was disillusioned by their reply. But uh, you can ask people a Bible question today, and they might be smart and very intelligent in science and geography and probably a lot of other subjects, but they're ignorant on the Bible. But anyway, after... He didn't get the proper answer. He uh, turned to his own twelve and he said, Whom say ye that I am? See if he could get any better answer than he received. Simon Peter, known for his impetuosity, and very he was an impetuous sort of a man. Simon Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
which is uh, the greatest confession that could fall from the lips of mortal man. It's a good confession. It's a complete confession. Notice, thou art the Christ, the Christos. Thou art the Christ, the Son. He's not the God. He's not the Father. He's not the Holy Ghost. In the Godhood, he is uh, the Christ. He's the Son. There are people who deny the Trinity. They, some people say there's only one member of the Godhead. They Jesus only people. They call himself. He said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, not of an idol God of paganism, but a God that lives, a living God. Several years ago, and this is maybe before some of your time, the, there was a statement made here in America that God is dead, and I saw signs that said God is dead. Well, God's never been dead. He's a living God. But uh, I don't hear that as much about it now as I did several years ago. That came up, said God is dead. But he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And uh, Jesus was thrilled with that confession because it is a complete confession. Uh, he said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but the Father who is in heaven. And I also say that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. That's our word, church. He said, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, Jesus then promised to build a church. And uh, I believe, and I'll be talking on this maybe tonight or a little later on in the meeting about the way the word church, the different senses, and the way it's used in the Bible. And one of the ways we'll discuss is the universal sense. I'm, I'll, I'll back it up with Scripture. I believe that sometimes when the word church is used, it's referring to all Christians everywhere. Now, remember, it's a collective noun. Collective noun means there's people involved. In order to have a collection, you've got to have something that makes up the collection. See, And it is a collective noun. And so, when Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church, I believe he used it in the universal sense, which includes all members of the church, including you and me and everybody, not necessarily just in a local congregation. We call that the universal sense. And I believe that's the sense in which he used it here in Matthew 16, when he said, I will build my church. Uh, from the standpoint, grammatical standpoint, if you wanted to analyze that statement of Jesus, and I think it's important that we do it, the subject is I, the pronoun I, I, and that refers to the Lord. Will build is the verb phrase, and church is the object. My is a possessive pronoun, modifying the church. So Jesus used the I, nominative I, and the possessive my. I, my. So that means the church belongs to Christ. It's the apple of his eye. doesn't belong to any of us. We uh, accommodatively sometimes say, you go to your church and I'll go to mine. And people refer to my church and things of that kind. And I understand what they mean by that. But if you're a member of the church of the Lord, it is his. Uh, 
I own no part of the church. I am a part of the church, but I, it is not mine. It is the Lord's. Uh, he gave his blood for it, and I gave you Acts 20, 28 earlier. Uh, so, technically, the church belongs to the Lord, and that's why he said, I will build my church. Uh, as I said, uh, the verb is will build, from the Greek word akadamio, which means to build, really to build from the ground up. I was meeting a man in debate over in Oklahoma one time. He was a certain kind of a Baptist. And he taught that the church came into existence on a mountain in Galilee before Pentecost. He didn't believe that it started on Pentecost. And um, I gave him Matthew 16, 18, and 19. Uh, and I said that we'll build is, is future tense. We'll build, we'll build future tense. No, he said that means to enlarge or to embellish. That, 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 he says the church is already existing. What Jesus was saying is he's going to enlarge it. That's not what he said. That's what he said, but that's not what the Lord said. The word means to build from the ground up, so his church hadn't been built when he gave Matthew 16, 18, 19. is in the future. He said, I will build. Now, it's true he had selected his apostles and he had selected other people and he's getting ready to, for the church to start, but actually it hadn't begun. He said, I will build my church. And as I said, uh, the word my modifies church and it shows that it does belong to And he didn't say churches. He, he used the singular. He used the singular. Uh, so... We understand that the Lord, Lord only has one church. I know that doesn't please a lot of people in the world, but uh, since the church is the body of Christ over in Ephesians 4, and there's one body, uh, it doesn't take a scientist to figure out that uh, there's only one church, and it, and it belongs to the Lord. And uh, I noticed Mitch printed one of my old articles, and I forgot about that article that I'd written several years ago about people saying, well, you think you're the only one going to heaven? And uh, I says, no, I don't think we're the only ones going to heaven because some of us are going to be lost because God's going to take out of his kingdom all that offend and do iniquity. I've never argued that every member of the church of Christ going to heaven. Never have argued that. Matter of fact, to the contrary, if I read my Bible, uh, members of the church will be lost, some of them. Uh, I preached a sermon down at Boonville the other day on Third Third John, and I talked about uh, the three men of Third John. And one of them was uh, Gaius and Diotrephes, and uh, then there was a third man. He's a pretty good man too. Uh, he was the man who made the little golden shrines for Diana the goddess. But anyway, I pointed out that. Uh, Two of these men in the church were good men and one bad. Diotrephes was a bad man. The other two were good. I said, does that mean that only two-thirds of the church is going to be saved? I said, well, I don't know that it does. But I said, I hadn't thought about it, but I went over to Matthew 25, and Jesus taught the same thing. He said, in the church and in, in the kingdom, 
He said, I gave one man five talents, and I gave another two, and I gave another man one. The five-talent man was a good man and gained five more, and the two-talent man, he gained more. And he said, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of the Lord. But the one-talent man accused the Lord of being austere and didn't do any work in the church. And... uh, he made his point, or tried to, at the judgment day with the Lord, but the Lord said, take this unprofitable servant, bind him hand and foot, and cast him in doubt or darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I believe he's lost. And I believe he's in the church. And in this case, you have the same thing you have in Third John 1, and I'd never thought about that, where you have a two-to-one ratio. You had two good men and one bad man, and here you had two good men and one bad man. I said, is the Lord trying to tell me something? Is he trying to tell me that a third of members of the church maybe uh, uh, are going to be lost? Well, could be. I don't know. But I think he, 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 he is teaching this. He's teaching that um, just because you're a member of the church, you don't have your passport signed to heaven. There's responsibility. And there's duty within the confines of a local congregation. And I believe that according to the Bible, that the local congregation is the only part of the church that's actually functional. Church universal is not functional. It has no organization. Jesus is head of it, but he's in heaven. But in the local congregation, he placed what we call elders and deacons, evangelists and members. That's where he put his organizations. Just like in this congregation here. He didn't give the universal anything. I, I know that people want to activate the church universal. The word Catholic means universal. And the Catholics did activate it through the pontiff. But that's not scriptural. That's unscriptural. The only... Part of the church that the Lord activated is the local congregation where he placed elders and deacons and evangelists and members. And uh, he wants elders to rule, deacons to serve, and evangelists to preach and members to work and so forth and so on. So uh, this is what we have in our New Testament. And uh, when Jesus promised to build his church, he he didn't have in mind at that time a particular local congregation, but the church universal. I believe that uh, when you're baptized, as you're taught in Romans 6, 3, and 4, baptized into Christ, into Christ, and First uh, Corinthians 12, by one spirit are we baptized into one body. I, I believe that when you're baptized, uh, that you... Uh, not only get into Christ, but you also get into the church. I differ with the denominational world when they say you're saved and then you join the church of your choice later. I don't believe that, biblically. I believe the same process that makes you a Christian makes you a member of the church because the Lord adds you to it. And that's the body of Christ. And so when he says, well, by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, he uses the same terminology that um, 
he used in Romans 6 when he says we're baptized into Christ. Into Christ. And I, I believe that. Talking about words, and that's what we're talking about. When the translators came to the word ace or ice as it's called, which, by the way, could be translated several different ways, upon, toward, in, into, to. It can be translated all those ways. But a Greek scholar knows when it is to be translated into and when it is to be translated in. Now, I'm not smart enough in Greek to know that, and I doubt that many of you are. Uh, but those scholars knew that. And I asked one, a scholar... I said, why is it that you translated the word ace into, in Romans 6, 1 Corinthians 12, but in other places you, you, you translated it in? And he said, Hoagland, when you have the accusative case and a verb of motion in connection with ace, you always translate it into, and said that's what you have in the Kone Greek. I said, oh. He said, we scholars know that, and knew that. That's why in your Bible, when you pick it up and you read it, you don't read that you believe in the Christ. There's not a single accepted translation that says you believe in the Christ. You believe in Christ or on Christ. I believe in the Lord. But when you come to a verb of motion and the accusative case with reflection, they say that puts you into Christ. Now, all of us know in our English language, we all know this. When you got out of your car and you started walking toward this building, you weren't in the building. You were coming toward the building. But you came through the door, and you came into the building, I-N-T-O. Now you're in the building, right? I believe that's correct, grammatically. I believe that's correct. It just so happens that uh, the Bible fulfills the, that same, same thing. You come toward Christ in doing certain things, but baptism is the step that puts you into Christ. And I've never had a, anyone to successfully deny it. I've had some to try to deny it. That's why we teach that you must be baptized to be saved. At least one of the reasons. Is that it puts you in, in the Christ. Faith will not put you in the Christ. You can believe on the Lord or in the Lord. And you can repent, but you don't repent into, into Christ or into the body. But you are baptized. And that's why we preachers preach that you've got to believe and repent and confess and be baptized in order to uh, be saved. I believe you feel you said there will be a bell ring. Uh, what, what time do we quit? 9.45. Looks like we have about five minutes. There's the bell. Uh, anyway, we we're going to be talking um, a little later on this morning about the word church used in different senses. I'll not get start into that because that's going to be my next series. But I wanted to begin with the, 
with defining the word itself and and what it means. Then we're going to next study uh, the uh, different ways the word church, the collective noun, is used in your Bible. And uh, that'll be our next subject. You, I appreciate your good attention, and uh, I, I've enjoyed being with you. We'll we'll stop here.